Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time. Because strength is never a weakness. Welcome to Ecobolic Radio with your host, Eric Witzke. Today's episode, we sit down with Australian strength and conditioning coach and founder of the Real Movement Project, Keegan Smith. Keegan has traveled the world acquiring knowledge from sources like Wim Hof and breathing, gymnastics training by Chris Summers, as well as human movement mastery by Ido Portel. Not only has Keegan proven to be an expert coach, but he's also a seeker and student of incredible information that he takes from theory to practical and then uses a mentorship program with the Real Movement Project to teach it to other coaches, vastly expanding knowledge throughout the industry. I'm excited to have Keegan on the show, and we're going to talk about everything from traveling to coaching to the ketogenic diet and what it takes to incorporate gymnastics training with a traditional strength and conditioning background. So without further ado. Awesome. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the the kind intro there. Um, Yeah, it was special spending time with you in in England. Um, I hadn't really had much contact with sort of leaders in strength and conditioning uh, at that time. I'd just come off the back of six years sort of backpacking and living in Latin America and figuring out what I was going to do in this lifetime. Um, And, you know, the honesty that you presented with and the knowledge that was there, um, I I think that was uh, a real catalyst for a lot of what came after. And it was Poliquin Group information, but, you you know, you put your own slant and your own experience and and so much honesty uh, into that. Uh, those few days uh, with Mary Pierre and, and it was uh, it was great it was great to spend time with those coaches and a lot of those guys I'm, I'm still in contact with which is um, awesome too uh, so yeah I mean, in terms of my journey like I yeah I did a lot of that travel after studying exercise science I had itchy feet and I needed to understand more about the world so I, I went off the grid and and uh, took on a completely different life uh, for for a period there and then when I decided I wanted to get back into you know what I was passionate about in you know health and performance uh, I uh, put my hand up for a role in France as head of performance and I'd, I'd never been head of performance uh, I hadn't even been in the industry for you know six years uh, and I managed to get that role and I moved to France learned French um, and and had two successful years there which helped me to get back to Australia and and I didn't actually want to come back to Australia I enjoyed living overseas because that had been what I've been doing but it was like uh, you know, if you were in European Football League or Canadian Football League and you got offered a job in the NFL, you know, you either got to take it or go to something else because it shows you're not really that passionate about what you're doing. Um, So I took it and uh, we had two big years at at the Roosters. We won the comp uh, the first year. We won the regular season, the the finals, the World Club Challenge, the club championship. Uh, We broke an all-time defensive record. Um, and that was my first year working in in the NRL. So that was uh, that was a special experience, and it gave me some confidence to to start to share a little bit of of what I valued. Um, and uh, yeah, that's sort of what I stepped into full time at the end of 2014. And so been working with coaches, helping to open facilities, helping coaches to get into professional teams, um, and that's how we we linked up again. You know, 
I uh, really wanted to introduce you to the people that I worked with, and we had an, an awesome event out of Joseph Coyne's old facility there on the Gold Coast. It was uh, it was great to have you out there, and it's still something that uh, we mention, you know, p- quite often when we get together for events. And I know the guys are still applying uh, knowledge, you know, that you shared uh, at that event too. That was actually a really good four day seminar because it was the first time that I had gotten to speak to a group of really eager coaches in about four years, um, yeah. you know, and you know, I've been, I've been traveling myself and coaching, uh, hands on in that time, but I hadn't been lecturing. And when I look back, you know, sort of at our first introduction back in the UK and sort of how you allude to coming off of that six years of backpacking around Latin America, I know that there was, I think Joe Rogan identified you and your story a number of years ago as somebody that had gone from like this adventurous traveler to coach to movement specialist. And we'll get into some of that, but let's talk a little bit because I think this is interesting. How instrumental was taking that six years where you basically explored probably yourself, but also a bit of the universe without really having a map in place at that time as to where your life would end up today. How instrumental was making that decision to just explore the earth? Yeah. Yeah. It was massive, Derek. Like I had a comfortable upbringing and, you know, I loved sport and I'd gone through school and I did okay at school. I didn't really like a lot of the structures of it. I enjoyed learning but uh, you know, there were lots of things about it that made it a really tough time, like it is for a lot of a lot of people, I guess, through high school. Um, I went straight into university. I wanted to play hockey in the Olympics, so you know, I, I steered a pretty uh, straight path, you know, working towards that. I trained a lot. Um, in between bouts of being an alcoholic, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I stopped to train hard, and then I lost the lost the plot again, and then I trained hard again. Um, but I just had, yeah, I mean, a lot of my last year at university, I was in the library reading Noam Chomsky. <laughs> I was in the right. library reading Latin American history. Um, I was, I was looking up the references in, you know, no effects songs. And, um, I wanted to understand something about the world because I didn't really get into history at high school, um, just right. for whatever reason. And once I started to sort of see a little bit of what was going on, and it was also because in exercise science, I was like, we learn all this shit about the body um and and it's cool but like there doesn't need to be a health crisis like why is there a health crisis like why aren't any of these things being applied like what's really going on here so that was like going to the more political side of health and medicine um and and thinking a little bit about that and reading sort of noam chomsky stuff and 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 understanding a bit more about how the world works and why it works the way it works, um, the influences and, and that sort of thing that just, just made me angry as hell and just made me restless. <laughs> right. And I, I had to, uh, I had to make a shift. So first thing I went to England and I worked in SNC over there with my brother's team, um, with the London Broncos, I did massage and I was assistant, you know, it was a good role straight out of, uh, university. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, during that time I was learning Spanish and I was reading Che Guevara, you know, so, right, right. um, there was something brewing there and uh yeah eventually like hockey the dream of hockey had to give way to uh to to taking on uh, a new path and uh it was yeah it was massive for me like i i didn't i'd never really fended for myself you know i'd always been pretty comfortable um and just just being on your own just you know 
spending a lot of time, you know, meeting new people and, you know, hitchhiking and I slept on floors and I, you know, I did couch surfing and I worked in an orphanage and, you know, all of these things that I did. I taught English in a bunch of different places and uh, it was, it was gold. Like it was tough because I didn't really have anything to progress towards and just doing a little bit of weight training during that time and, and keeping some interest in my, on my health and nutrition, I think was probably the only thing that held me together through, you know, the, the chaos of just, you know, life on the road without, without really any specific purpose right. other than to experience, to meet people, to explore ideas, um, to debate, you know, that was kind of my life there for, for quite a while. So yeah, I don't think I would have done anything, you know, I can't see how I could have done what I've done without that experience. And it probably gave me a bit of confidence to, to realize that strength and conditioning isn't as life and death as you know some of the, right. the situations that I got into over there. It, it gives um, so you it probably gave me a bit more freedom. It gives you freedom. It gives you incredible perspective into the human condition, where you start to look at individuals as individuals. Whereas I think in a very westernized sanitary culture, we have a tendency to look at people as almost like this matrix-like paradigm where. Oh, that's the person that does this. That's the person that does that. And they become very blank slate. They do their role. They serve you your coffee. They are a doctor in an office. They drive a taxi cab. They're just these characters. And I, and I think when you get yep. into that humanistic side where you literally get your hands in the dirt of, of the universe and, and you have to interact on your own merit. And the only thing that is going to sort of allow you to be successful is your ability to interact with human beings on an individual level. It starts to fragment and break away that shell, which is that protective sanitary condition that we have in our cultures. And I think inevitably from my experience in that type of life it makes you a much better teacher and coach if you ever which you did but if you were to ever go back to that life after that because now you're looking yep. at individuals instead of oh that's so and so that does this and that's as much as you care to know about that person right and so when you transitioned away from the exploratory phase of your life where basically you were just acquiring experience and experience is knowledge knowledge is experience when you decided to make the shift back into strength and conditioning initially what was the first thing that you felt like was going to be different than what had been sort of your thinking prior to that like what were you like okay this is not what i thought you alluded to it's not life and death because now you've seen life and death and you know what that is so how did that change your coaching and your pursuit of strength and conditioning? Yeah, so I mean, I always coach whether whether I like it or not. So I, I ended up teaching workshops on soil science and um, microeconomic stuff right. you know, in villages in, in Latin America and you know, once my Spanish was good enough and, and whatever, like I was always, I always fall into it, even if I, that's not the intention. Um, I always teach people new things. You know, I, was, I built weights out of street signs and concrete poles in lots of different parts of the world, actually. But, you know, um, and end up teaching people, you know, weight training and talking about food and whatever. So it was, it was still kind of on that continuum in, in a way. But right. the, I think like going into France, um, 
I really knew that learning the language was massive. And, and I guess that's what you're talking about. Like mm-hmm. being able to get on a level with guys, being able to, you know, even though I was, I was really bad initially, uh, they saw that I was trying and I think that that was a foundation for a connection. Right. So I think that's the biggest shift. Like I realized that if you have no human connection with somebody, then you don't really have uh, a platform to, you know, to make an impact on them and they don't necessarily care how much you can help them lift or even, you know, they don't necessarily believe in your ability to improve them as an athlete if they don't think you're trying to, you know, uh, improve their life overall or improve them as a person. I think just, yeah, one of the first opportunities I got to speak to them like up in the mountains in, in France. It was a very, uh, you know, beautiful place up near a ski resort. We went there for a few days on a camp and I started talking to the players about all the things I value, like in, in French. And, right. And, and, and like, I don't even know how I'd managed to, but, you know, I, I know from that point on, like guys were more on board with me than they, you know, than they had been with other guys in the past, uh, you know, and uh that gives it, yeah, gives a basis for you know being able to impact performance more because you, there's a, a stronger level of connection. Where I, I was really bad at that. I still don't think it's a strength, to be honest, Derek. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not like an awesome friend, right? Um, but I can inspire people to to get on a path and to make a shift towards what they want to do. Um, and I, and I probably wasn't, I don't think I was good at that. And I just saw it as straight up numbers, like when I was um, in the early days and didn't have the confidence to ask people about where they're from and what they like and right. you know where they're going. Yeah. You know, the basis of creating that that trust, right? Like when we think of communication from a scientific standpoint, there's this old model called the Shannon Weaver model of communication. And and what it is like the sort of generalized term is the onion theory of communication or interaction between interpersonals. So okay. you talk to somebody, they talk to you, that level of communication is a layer. And so every time that you go one layer deeper, you remove a layer of that onion as you move towards the core. But what a lot of people don't understand is at some point in a communication process or a friendship or a relationship, the communication is going to stop at a certain level. And that level has a tendency to stop at the comfort of one of the two participants. So, you know, once you hit your comfort level with somebody, you don't take any more layers of that onion off. Doesn't matter how many they, they share, right? The classic example is the chronic oversharer that has no friends, right? Because no one, (laughs) no one wants to be around the guy that bears his soul. And, and, but what people don't realize from the coaching perspective, that still exists. Now there has to be a bit of a hierarchy that occurs between coach and athlete because there has to be a discipline aspect because some days, you have to push and some days you have to pull. But when you get to the professional level, there is a fundamental understanding and something as simple to those that don't think about it is the inability to speak a language is going to stop the ability to address deeper levels of communication. Because if you can't communicate verbally, there's only so many ways that you can try to get the message across. And after that, it just stalls out. And so by default, they aren't going to, and not even that they won't take you seriously. There's just too much effort lost in the ability to even have a conversation. So the fact that you show them your willingness to shed your Western ways and pick up, uh, 
you know, a European French way of speaking, which they're very proud of, right? French and German and Spanish are very proud. Italian are very proud countries when it comes to their language. When you show your willingness to, you know, let's face it, release ego and struggle through language, which is brutal, you completely open another door to a personality, right? So that that's huge. That's really huge. And when you transition back to Australia from that experience, what was that like bringing all that European experience, Latin American experience, and personal growth back home? Yeah, like I, I didn't want to come back home because I didn't want to go back to who I was and where I was. Mm-hmm. And it, it's easier to be a different person when you're on the road. Um, Absolutely. When, <laughs> So getting back to Sydney and, and sort of seeing, you know, that was fairly familiar to me. Um, I think, it, yeah, it, it, I was able to deal with it because of all that time. And, I, you know, we had a – we're still a multicultural team. I guess a lot like uh, the NFL or American sports, you would see it. But, you know, there's players from New Zealand background, Tong and Samoan, you know, country Australia, city Australia. Mm-hmm. Um and so you have a fair blend. Uh, I would say only probably half the team was actually Australian, um, you know, uh, or less maybe of Australian descent. So, or, you know, whatever that means, you know, there's yep. uh, yeah. the, the colonizers, you know, the 200 years or so of, uh, of Australian history sort of thing. Um, and then there's in, yeah, indigenous Australians as well. So there's all those backgrounds. And I think I was much more interested and sensitive to that and i think that played a role in being able to connect with the guys more um and we i had some confidence in the systems as well like we you know we'd had a big change in in france and uh i you know i thought that i knew what they'd been doing and i knew that that didn't line up with what i believe in um in terms of performance you know uh, improvement like when we, more on the on the science side and on the implementation uh, I was confident that I'd be able to make an impact in their physical capacity as well. So, yeah, that made me really excited to to deliver to them and to show them things that they hadn't seen in themselves before. Um, so, yeah, it was it was an exciting time. It was a bit scary, but that's you know that's the good the the best way to be living, right? Right. It, it seems to be where the most dramatic growth occurs. Right. It's. Uh, yep. You know, we we talk about complacency in life, but sometimes what we're really talking about is a lack of external motivation, real external motivation. You know, it's uh, you'll you know, and you can attest to this as a father, but you know, I've had other friends that didn't take their health seriously until their child was born. Um, because the circumstances become very real to them. There's that external motivation that, that pushes them in a new direction. Now, the one thing that I've always found quite fascinating, and I remember speaking about this about four or five years ago is I've coached a number of people through the private education system, but your story to me has always been a a rather fascinating one. And, And I talked to this topic a little bit when I was in Australia speaking with your, with your event is the fact that you went from being somebody that attended one of my lectures to somebody that I eventually reached out to for information for myself. So it was like the circle completed and it's still continuing to grow, but you started to move in a, in a very different direction than a lot of traditional S and C guys. And that you almost like 
turned away from the industrialized side of SNC and went and studied and mastered new areas that were at the time somewhat isolated or or singular in the ownership of those that were teaching it. An example would be, you know, the uptake and movement-based strength and conditioning that Ido Portel was doing or Chris Summers, that you went and pursued that avenue for a while and in a sense truly mastered it, then turned back and started to reintegrate it into strength and conditioning. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, like I, I guess it's it's instinctive for me, Derek. Like I don't set out to be contrarian or, you know, just do stuff differently for the sake of it, but I don't apologize for it either. So, um, yeah, in the movement side, like I saw a bit of Ito's stuff and I was like, wow, this is, you know, he can do a lot of things that I haven't seen any strength and conditioning coach, any rugby player, just about any human do. So, like, how does he do it? And right. And that's like, you know, watching a bunch of stuff on YouTube. And then, yeah, I decided during the season 2013, um, you know, I've got a full-time job now. The, the company might uh, want to invest in, in me and I want to invest in this. So, um, yeah, I put it to the club to be able to uh, support my education and um, to go to Thailand to do the, the six-day uh, internship, which is sort of – there's basically four students and four guys that had already been doing a bunch of work with him. Um, and I just – yeah, I prepared for it a bit, but I probably didn't realize what I was going into. You know, like right. everyone looks at Edo Portal now and they think, well, if you're going to – you know, if you're going to invest a, a big – you know, it was, a, it was a big investment. It was the biggest probably investment I'd made at that stage in myself. Mm-hmm. Um big investment and you know i probably would have turned up to it in a bit better shape in terms of that specific style of preparation you know i was dabbling in it as a concept at that stage like do i want to get into this a bit is it just you know is it just woo woo is it like i wasn't fully bought in um but i wanted to go there and see what he was about what it was about and just be challenged be out of my comfort zone and then you know be in thailand and um yeah we're getting married just after that my first child was on the way so it was an exciting time uh in in life um and it was great to be there with with ito and his team for for a few days um yeah, like so. The, yep, you go. So the two questions that I have that from a, an outsider's perspective, the first question I have in regards to that is, how long did it take you as an individual that started practicing the systems to to get quite proficient? And when you were going through the process of being quite proficient at, say, single arm pike hold chin-ups and handstands and some of the more complex movement patterns that Ido was teaching at the time, did you have to put traditional weight training on a back burner at that time? Yeah, so during that preparation for the event, like it was also um – yeah, I did. I did. I put a lot of my other training on the back burner and I sort of, yeah, I left the barbell and just thought like, I'm going to, I'm going to put some focus uh, into this, but it wasn't a long period um, before that event. And then for a little bit after as well, uh, I, d- I did put, you know, the traditional um, strength training and barbell work uh, to the, to the side um, it was good to have that experience as well. It was good to feel what happened to my body if I just focused on on body weight stuff, and, and I was you know developing a lot of movements that I hadn't 
done before and body awareness and you know, there was a lot of you know skill and frustration right. uh, in, in in taking on new skills and and also just like yeah having people giggle at you and laugh like handstands weren't what they are now right no you one know, was when doing you start them, doing really. handstands yeah. in a rugby league gym um, or in the park like it was yeah it wasn't uh, it wasn't seen exactly as it is now and even still it's um, you know it's it's still an emerging thing I, I guess well, we're going back to the future in the muscle beach days and, you know, Doug Hepburn, all those guys, they could do handstands and freestanding handstand push-ups. Um, well, that's actually a good but, point because that's what I was going to ask. It's yeah. for those that don't understand the history, everyone thinks that this stuff is new, right? They think we, you know, <laughs> everyone's like, holy shit, look at these guys doing handstands and bodyweight gymnastics movements, but they're muscular and they're strong. This is fucking revolutionary. But what they forget yeah. is if you go look at the old photographs and paintings of muscle beach, yeah. It was expected because back then the concept of a strongman festival mentality still existed. So it was one thing to be strong. It was another thing to be strong. Even Reg Park and Arnold Schwarzenegger used to have uh, events where they would participate, where they would be human bridge candidates for female gymnasts. And they would do these incredible poses because they were strong. But somehow we forgot that that was acceptable culture in the 30s, 40s, 50s, even up through early 70s. Then it disappears because no one was making money. And I, it's going to make the political side, right? Yeah. Nobody yeah. was making money off of bodyweight gym memberships on the beach. No. So they started to funnel everybody into commercial gyms. And by yeah. doing that, the gym industry certainly exploded. Um, equipment sales went up, all that good stuff. So the global yep. gym is born, but the days of Muscle Beach past slowly faded, right? So mm -hmm. when you started to incorporate what you would really think of as traditional muscle building systems using body weight, the thing that I found interesting is you were one of the, maybe only the only one that is really well known that has really mastered gymnastic-based movements but you still equally advertise the fact that your base principles are strength and conditioning, whereas a lot of people want to choose a side. And I know yeah. that you've probably taken some heat for that, I would assume, because people like to be loyalists to one religion. So how do you yeah. get around that as somebody that's like, listen, it's not as simple as one thing or the other? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just my experience, Derek. Like. I, I did think that one stage that I was going to become a bodyweight guy, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I went to Coach Summer and Coach Summer, you know, he sells it as, as well as anyone. The bodyweight training, bodyweight training, you know, straight arm strength right. and you're just going to be a beast. You're going to be able to do all this stuff and – and so I did it, you know, I bought in, I went to, I went to his workshop in Sydney, I went to one in Tasmania, I went over to Denver for a week um, and you know, I, I loved it and I was, I was doing it, uh, but I was getting skinnier and my tendons were hurting and right. I didn't, I didn't know how to piece it together. And I was like, man, I wish this worked. Like I wish this is, this is what I want to do, you know, but it, it didn't. And then, so it was like, well, how do, you know, what am I missing here? What do I need to be able to do? And, uh, my, my tendency is to have, uh, you know, super skinny legs and, you know, when my legs are skinny, then I can't really jump. And then it's like, oh, like this isn't, this isn't really giving me everything that I dreamed of. And it's, it's 
also like inability to to adapt it like i think you can get tons and tons out of bodyweight training and I, and i probably could do it better if i went back to it as a sole focus right um but what i found was and this is probably the part that people don't like the most and and people still don't understand about you know me and how i train i, I started bodybuilding again derek like i, I started right. doing curls and, and tricep extensions i was just gonna and- say I, I was gonna throw in the point that you did an instagram video about three months ago or more talking about the incorporation of some bicep work to protect your joints yep it, yeah right it, and that's the difference between what you're doing and a lot of these other people are doing i, I truly believe that well you can try and do it with bodyweight training you know to to, to do those things uh, and for it'll work for some people but my my tendency is to go a little bit too hard get a bit too excited overtrain a little bit push things um you know and it's it's just uh it's my tendency it's probably you know Blessing and a curse. So the, the um, reason but, why you speak four or five languages, spent six years <laughs> on couches in Latin America, yeah, it sort of makes sense, right? You know. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do take things a bit further than than some people, you know, would like to. Um, I can tell you about what I'm doing with my nutrition at the moment. If you if you want that, even scared I, the hell out of me when I started doing it. But. Absolutely, because the other thing I was going to bring up is the fact that you were the first person to advertise eating a raw diet for a year on social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we'll get to that. Uh, so you started to blend the gymnastics bodyweight stuff with traditional strength work. And yep. when you started to do that, was that around the same time that the Real Movement Project took off or was that something that spawned out of your need to make a more holistic, complete approach to human movement and performance? Yeah, it, it was born – like I started doing Coach Keegan stuff. Um, I started a Twitter account in France and and I was, you know, I was tweeting away and then I started a Facebook page and then – yeah, this was all Coach Keegan stuff, and then I met up with two guys who were really into marketing and and social media, and they'd had this Instagram account called Primal Sydney that just boomed, and right. um, I met I, I met up with them, and 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 it was sort of just learning about this world of like marketing and business, and you know, it's it's not something that I'd been a part of at all before. My my family's all you know been in um, in sports, and it's I guess it's like government jobs in a way, you know. So yep. the entrepreneurial side. It, it was always sort of in me, but I'd never, I'd never really tried it. So I met these guys, and I was like, "Oh, there's something here. Like we should, we should have a go at something together." And so it's like, "Well, we need to come up with a different brand that's not, you know, one or the other." So that's that's really how it started. Um, thinking about, you know, what we wanted to be, and the movement side of things actually to me is not so much the Edo Portal movement. It's more like the Che Guevara Rage Against the Machine movement. Right. I was gonna uh, say, right? It's <laughs> movement with a rebellious soul, right? Yeah, that's that's kind of where that's the roots of it for me, and I and then movement culture and all that stuff started to boom, you know, two three years later, um, and people kind of think I'm talking about that, so then they wonder why I'm, you know, deadlifting and and uh, working on my weightlifting and whatever, and they I think people are still confused by it, but that's that's cool too. I like confusing people and making them making them think a little bit. Um, Absolutely. The philosophy of real movement is really, yeah, to build uh, a culture of of physical development and self development that changes the way the world works. Like that was really the the doctrine of it. Like it's it's about building something that goes beyond like the the political kind of ambitions and and the 
utopic kind of uh, ideas around how the world could be working and should be working are still alive and well. And uh, this is my vehicle. Like this is how I, I want to create change. It's it's through um, showing people that they're capable of a lot more than what they thought and they can experience I can prove it to them physically. I can prove it to them in one day right. that they can change so much. Um, and so – that's what the system is, is, is built around and and whatever methods and mechanisms will facilitate that are on the table for me. You know, whether it's plant medicine or, um, you know, weightlifting, juggling or uh, a ketogenic diet, you know, like whatever's going to create a shift in someone and give them a different perspective on themselves that they can live a better life from and a more uh, aware life from. Like that's, that's what real movement is really about. See, and that's fascinating to me because one of the things that has always stood out with yourself and, and now with the coaches that you've coached and, and people that you work with is the fact that you all live by the same code to some degree. And the code is an interesting code because the code is the code of evolution or, or change or adaptation, incorporation of new skill, challenging the body. And it, it's a unique code because everybody, it, it, the best way I would describe it to those that don't know who you are yet is imagine a religion that is completely open to the idea that religion could change tomorrow and become better. And the, right? and the next day after that, you discover something else and it becomes better again. But everybody has that belief. So nobody's sitting there going, you know what? That doesn't fit into my thought structure. Doesn't matter if it's going to save their life or not. Therefore, I don't believe it. And when I used to watch some of your early social media stuff, you were literally going, and then one of my favorites is when you were doing the cleanse and, and drinking the, uh, the oil before bed and doing all that stuff and talking about it is it's yeah, like, no. okay, here's a guy that is taking some of these things that people don't believe in or think that is bullshit or they'll, they'll never do themselves. So he's going, no. okay, you know what? I get it. There's maybe some fear, some apprehension, some dogma. I'm going to do it. And not only am I going to do it, I'm going to do it exactly the way it's meant to be done. Even if it makes me feel like shit or it's hard or I don't get to eat, I'm going to yep. do measurements. I'm going to document it all. And then I'm going to show you the result. And you can either believe it or not, but at least now it's been done and it's not a conversation. It's a fact. And that I think is a massive difference between you and people in the industry that try to pretend they're like you. There's a lot of people talking about ketogenic diets that are eating carbs before bed, right? <laughs> you know, like yeah. there, there's, there's some bullshitters out there. Whereas you're putting it, you're using social media almost as a magnifying glass to the concepts that you're trying to teach. And that's not very common. Because it leaves you open to vulnerability. But if you're telling the fucking truth, you can be as vulnerable as you want. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, like, it's a funny one, Derek. Like, that world of social media, you know, it's, it gives me a megaphone and a box to stand on that hasn't really existed in the past. You know, I would have had to try to go through uh, magazines, you know, fitness magazines and, and all that sort of stuff where... You know, I don't know if I would have had the freedom that right. I have had to to pivot and to explore and to contradict myself and, you know, you know, 
all those those things that we can do now on social media but yeah it does you know everyone gets an opinion you know on social media and a lot of what i do it the funny thing is i, I think i've alienated all of my audience at some stage right with something that i with, that i do um but i guess that's the the part of the reason why they hang around is because they know that they're going to be challenged or they're going to see something a little bit different. And yeah, gradually, you know, we're, we're helping more coaches and, and opening a pathway for, you know, people who go to the, the facilities uh, of these coaches. And we, we started a licensed uh, facility company this year. So we've got 12 uh, real U facilities, uh, which is a kind of a wing of, of real movement project. Yep. Um, and it's uh, it's another possibility, Derek. It's another possibility to, uh, you know, how how could we potentially facilitate a shift in in humanity to to go from this culture of self harm and um, lack of belief in self that that is the dominant culture of our time. How could we go from that to a culture where people do believe in themselves and they say yet yeah, at the end of any sentence that says that they can't do something, you know, in the, right. the Carol Dweck kind of mindset way. Um, you can't do our stuff without getting to that yet kind of uh, perspective because you know that it's it's just a time investment. It's just a, it's a consistency thing, whatever it is. You know, it may be 20 years of everyday consistency if the goal is, you know, to be a billionaire or to be nine ball, you know, knife juggling or something. Right. But, but there's, there's just a price to pay. And, and that's, uh, I think a, a much healthier, more empowered way to look at the world. Um, and that's what we, we're opening up the possibility to, to kind of share that. I'm, I'm plugging my network here no, a little was, bit, but you know, that's, that's where this is all, I was you know, it's all going. You we just that. keep running experiments. Yeah. 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 Cool. I was going to ask you about real you and, and that really sort of explains it well. And you said something that's very interesting and I, and I'm not a particularly hardened guy when it comes to certain belief systems, right? Like don't ask me about God because I've never met him. You know, that's, that's where I'm at. So I, I don't want to offend somebody with my lack of understanding. So when it comes to faith and things like this, the one thing that I do say is it's like, I don't care what your religious beliefs are, but if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in yourself, you're fucked. <laughs> right. So you got to believe in something. It's and a good way to put it. I, I, yep. I'll tell you what, man. And so I, I don't tell people what to believe in, but they always have to believe in themselves because it, that's all you really have. Like, so if you, if you don't think there's a God that's controlling the end game here, then it means you're controlling the end game. And if you're, if you're not actually working towards improving yourself in that scenario, then this entire experience, whatever this universal phenomenon is that we call life, is being wasted, completely wasted. And and I know from my own perspective, I've gone through phases of stagnation where, you know, I lose the plot and I don't really know which yep. direction to go. And, and that's totally normal. But it's yep. like if someone goes, man, what do you really want to do? And I'd be like, you know what I would like to do? I would like to be able to play the guitar. Oh, you're too old. <laughs> right? Like, it's like, yeah. what? It's yeah. like if yeah. I start playing the guitar today, which, you know, I don't. I don't know how to play. But say I wanted to learn how to play the guitar today at 41. 
there's a pretty good chance that if I put the same energy into the guitar that I put into sports for the last 10 years, that at 51, I might be pretty fucking impressive at it. Yep. And it's that simple, right? Yeah. Seems like it, but it, <laughs> yeah, I know, I it's, know. It's something that's missing from so many people's uh, perspective of of who they are and and how the world works. And, you know, I, I'm I was told, you know, it's easy to learn languages as a kid. You can't really learn them as an adult. Yes. You know? And then and then I learned German and Spanish and French and married a, a you know, a woman whose first language is Polish and 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 that's the the dominant language in my household at the moment with my mother-in-law being here and my two. My children are responding to Polish right. better than English. Right. So, so like that that myth has been busted. And then it was like, what other myths can be busted here? And 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 juggling was a myth. And guitar was actually one of those for me, Derek. Like where I, I thought I had sausage fingers. Like at school, I, I tried a bit and it was just really bad. And I thought my hands aren't big enough. Something's wrong here fundamentally that I'm never going to do this. Right. Um. And I'm not I'm not Jimi Hendrix, but I I smashed the. Uh, I smash the myth, you know, I can play a bit, I can have some fun. Yep. Uh, and you find and enjoyment out of it. You find oh, yeah. personal yeah. enjoyment in this life from it, right? It f- yeah. makes it worth it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And people, so many people won't try things now because there's someone who's better and it's like you yeah. start doing something and they're like, oh, have you seen that guy who plays blindfolded with his left hand while he's in the bath? Exactly. And it's like, I don't. That's okay, but my experience is actually more valuable than that. Like it's, it's much more enriching to three ball juggle than to watch the world record juggler or to you know. Right. It's it's cool to watch someone. It's cool to watch the Cirque du Soleil juggler, but I spend very very little time doing that. Yeah. I spend a fair bit of time refining my five ball juggling because that's an experience for me and that, and for for me it's it's so much more enriching than watching someone else's experience so at whatever level right. you're at you know the the joy is in the experience like embody it don't don't just uh, be held back by whoever's the best in the world at that at the moment see that's a fascinating thing that you say that because it really resonates with me for, so you coached and still work at the highest level of rugby is that safe to say is that am I correct yeah. in that fact? It's yeah, uh, yeah rug, rugby league. So there's two kind of yep. two types of rugby. In Australia, rugby league is the big one. Yep. Globally, rugby union rugby uh, is union. the big one. But I don't think uh, yeah, it doesn't make too much difference in the context of the, the conversation. conversation. So comparatively, it's like comparing it to the NFL, for example. Um, in Australia, yeah, in a, yeah, exactly. And so it, what's interesting is I don't sit and watch sports. I've never taken a lot of enjoyment out of televised sports, but when I worked in the NFL, I really enjoyed being on the field with the guys and being a part of the experience of sports at that level. And, and people find it funny that I, I have a tendency not to have a horse in the race when it comes to sports. And I, I just never have. So even my entire life as, as a sportsman that went on to compete for my country, I was never really, I never watched hockey. I never watched football. I I just, I would rather go out and be in contact with something, even if I was shitty at it, than like you say, watch the best five ball juggler in the world. Because to me, I just didn't get anything from that. I I can appreciate it and and I can sit there and talk about it and be like, that is amazing because I know where I'm at, but I'm not going to spend... The next uh, seventy-two Saturdays watching NASCAR. 
it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, that's me too. I, I'm I'm not a big sports uh, watcher. My my brother's fanatical, and my dad watches a lot. Cause, you know, they my dad's. I don't know if I you know, but yep. he he coached for 30 years in the, you know, the equivalent of the NFL. He went over and and studied an NFL teams. You know, in the off season, and okay. you know that's he's got all the books of all the the great NFL coaches were on our bookshelves growing up, and I, I read some of them as well as a kid. Um, Which is a really unique situation. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was born into I was born into a lot of what I live now for sure. Like, it's not a single generational journey. Right. Um. Uh. But yeah, like I, I get uh, I get so much. Yeah. I I, I don't really enjoy that um sitting and watching unless I know what's going on. You know, I'll watch the Roosters this year because I'm I'm part of the team. Um. But it, I haven't watched much of their, their games over the last few years. And if I was watching it, it would only be their games because they're players that, you know, I've worked with in the past. And I want them to do well. It's not that I don't care. Right. It's just that me, me watching them doesn't influence that. So it doesn't change you know, the outcome. I don't think so, at least in, in that sense anyway. No, exactly. Like I always – if I could impact the outcome, it was me coaching. But once the coaching was done – it's 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 up to them that's that's their moment and if i'm spending game day say they're traveling and and i wasn't with them if i'm spending game day doing fun stuff for me it has no impact on the outcome i'll check in and see how it went but that's about it and 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 i think sometimes what happens is people just get so caught up in the ego of living vicariously through sporting heroes that they almost forget to live themselves. And, and it's okay to have escapism once in a while, but you shouldn't disappear completely from your obligations as, as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a human animal that needs to get up and move and do stuff, you know, to, to be the best version of yourself, in my opinion, anyway. And, and I know that you have, outside of the actual physical application of strength and conditioning, you've been somebody that has really sort of dove into the physical application of nutrition practices. So I know that you alluded to it about 10 minutes ago, but sort of take us through some of these different things that you've done to try to make your vessel the most optimized version that it could be from some of the fasting that you did, the good and bad to the ketogenic, to the ketones, uh, to what you're doing now, which sounds like it might be pretty interesting. Go ahead and walk us through some of that stuff. Yeah. So firstly, like it's being born out of necessity, Derek, like I've wanted to train more and get stronger. And, uh, you know, I was 65 kilos, so, you know, 150 pounds or something when I was uh, finishing high school. And, you know, I had trouble adding muscle mass and I didn't know why. And I, you know, I read the, the muscle magazines and, and whatever. Um, and, you know, when I started to take some supplements, because we all know that protein powder and creatine and, you know, the EAS stuff was sure. going to just pack lean mass on me like um, by the by the kilogram, you know. Um, I tried that stuff and my guts just exploded. Right, right. Uh, I, I, I had gut issues from the time where I started to do that because at the same time I was, you know, going through puberty and, and started to get some acne. So I went on like long course antibiotics. Yeah. Um, I started to take crappy quality um, supplements 
Um, there was some other stresses and stuff in life. I got my driving license, so I started to be able to, you know, get as much Burger King and all you can drink soft drink at Subway um, and all that stuff. And yep. and uh, purely by chance, my, my gut went, you know, down downhill and I had issues with the gut and um, challenges with my health. And that was probably the worst time uh, my health around that time sort of for a few years just had challenges and it kept getting in the way of my performance. Like I wanted to go to the Olympics for hockey, like Australia, um, in this is field hockey, which, you know, you guys look at in a whole different way, but, um, there was an opportunity to win a gold medal at the Olympics if right. I could get into that team. Like Australia's always, you know, sort of top three team and, and they've, you know, they have been that and I'm, I'm friends with some of the guys who are in that game. That's what I wanted to do, but I just kept getting injured and, you know, shin splints and patella tendonitis and, stress fractures and um i couldn't put it together so yeah so i had friends who were on, on the gold medal olympic team and and that was kind of the that was really the focus and the direction for me then backpacking you know nutrition went uh on the back burner and i didn't put as much focus on it and my training because i was doing you know a lot of other stuff and didn't have money and life was uh, a bit bit more chaotic um, but then when I decided to get back into strength and conditioning and, and, and I scored that role in, in France, um, I, I said, well, I've, you know, I've got to be congruent with this. I've got to go there as someone who can, you know, by example, give these guys um, a, a new path, a better path, offer them something that's going to, you know, improve their performance and, and their lives. So I just really delved into learning about uh, nutrition and I'd, I'd been doing some learning along the way. Like John Barati was a guy who you know, I read all right. his T nation stuff. And you know, that was, that was probably the first time I actually consistently added some mass was like doing some of his massive eating stuff yep. um, back in, yeah, 2005 or six or something like that. Um, but then, you know, I was, I was back into researching and I think, you know, Paul, some Paul Check stuff with uh, Sean Croxton. His uh, underground wellness podcast was was huge for me. Um, got me onto Rob Wolf and Mark Sisson, and that whole paleo movement was really kicking off around that time. Right. And so I gave that a go. Like I, I needed to improve. Um, I had like chronic fatigue after the, my time traveling there. I got back into training and uh, I just kept. I had these infections that wouldn't heal. I had massive headaches. I would train and then just go home and lay in bed in the dark. Right. And I knew my health wasn't where it needed to be to to be that leader of strength and conditioning that I wanted to be. But at the same time, I needed to be stronger because I was weak as hell after not being you know not being much in the gym over those six years. Right. So I was punishing myself with training and trying to figure out how to rebuild some health and vitality. Um, so. Western A. Price, um, Sally Fallon, Paul Check, Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson, like all these guys were, were really my mentors in, in getting nutrition back on track. And then I, I went and did the biosignature course with Charles yep. um, in, uh, in England as well once I was there in France. And so they were probably earlier influences of you know what I was doing with nutrition um, but I've continued to, yeah, continue to experiment. Um, I tried a lot of powders um, after Biosignature, um, and a, a lot of uh, a lot of capsules. I think I was <laughs> I was rattling everywhere I went, um, and that was an interesting time. I think I uh, nearly put myself in a coma there at some stage with uh, blood blood sugar fluctuations. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's all a journey, all an experience. Um, yeah, the 
too many powders didn't really work too well for me. Yep. Um, I was sort of, yeah, I sort of stuck with that approach, like something paleo-ish. And then I had, um, like I had athlete's foot as a kid and that once you have, you know, Paul Check says once you have like a deep fungal infection, it's unlikely that it's ever going to be gone. It's going to be something that you kind of need to manage. Right. And it was kind of a weakness where I didn't really know why, but every now and then, you know, those kind of symptoms would come on from somewhere. Sure. Um, and then I heard Tim Ferriss talking about um, ketogenic diet with Dom D'Agostino and talking about the role that that played with immune uh, modulation and autoimmunity. Um, I'd had issues with hay fever as well, yep. uh, like seasonal allergies. My dad's had it, and it actually came on exactly the same time as all that other junk um, in my late teens. Um, and pretty much like if I was off track with something or just overly stressed or, yeah, my, my gut wasn't good, then you know, I would get hay fever and, you know, as a presenter, hay fever is one of the worst things that you, right. you can have Absolutely. really. Like, you don't want your nose to be running and your eyes to be itchy. And I have, uh, ethically, I, I, I don't take pharmaceuticals. Like I, I don't, uh, I wouldn't cover it up. Right. So I've presented with really bad hay fever <laughs> symptoms and I just have to be honest with the audience of like, I don't know at all. I'm, I'm working it out. There's, there's issues here that I'm, I'm not, I don't have solved. Um, I'm better than I used to be. There's things that are, you know, you can still listen to some of what I've got to say if you want, but like, honestly, this is where I'm at today. So, you know, I've had to do that a few times and it's really hard on the ego. Um, right. Really, really one of the most challenging things has been to, to present like that and to the fear of going into an event knowing that a few days before it, like my, I've got a bit of those symptoms and it's like, Oh, like, am I, am I, you know, can I even go and do this? Do I cancel? Like, um, that's been a real challenge for me. So when I heard Tim Ferriss talking about overcoming limes and, you know, Dom Diagostino talking about, you know, the interest that they had in lots of different, you know, medical areas with keto, I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to give this a go. And I'd, I'd heard about it through anabolic diet, Mario Di Pasquale, yep. but it was so far away from what I was doing at that time. I was eating noodles and beans on toast. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, uh, the ketogenic diet was like, how the hell could I do that? Right. You know, five, six days a week. So I liked the idea of it way back then, but I, I hadn't ever really done it. Um, but paleo kind of gets you closer to it and yeah, it wasn't a big deal. So I jumped on it. And uh, at the same time, I tried to order the ketone supplements that Dom Diagostino was talking about. Right. And I'd seen Joe Rogan actually post up as well. And I, I didn't realize it was a multi-level marketing company. I just saw that supplements. some cool guys yep. were posting up some some stuff about these ketones and maybe they were going to give me another 1%. You know, Maybe they were going to help me to, to do ketogenic diet and not have performance decrement, You know, which was a little bit worried about. Yep. Um, so... I looked it up, but you couldn't get it in Australia. So I was like, it eh, doesn't matter. I'll just do the diet. Um, and then a few months later, the supplement became available and I started to take it. I liked it. I started to sell it and it, it went crazy. Yeah. So all of a sudden overnight, I became a multi-level marketer, <laughs> which was uh, which was a shift. And I was like, I was excited about telling people about it. One, because I was having the best period of training of my life and health. Yep. And two... I was getting all this money and it just seemed to keep going up. And I thought, well, if this is how it goes, like I'd like my friends and family to experience this as well. Like pretty much, yeah, like it paid a, played a big part in the house that I'm standing in right now. You know, like we, we bought a house and uh, in the country in Australia and um, it was partly because of 
Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan's uh, recommending a supplement uh, endorsement of this thing that yeah that I had no idea what the story was. Now um, are you still? Apparently they didn't. Are you st- go in the business of it? No, they. I think they were the same. They were just using it because it was effective. And are you still currently using the keto supplements in your own program? Not not half as much as uh, all my coaches and friends and family. Um, a lot of the guys are still using it, even though they have no like they didn't use the business stuff. Right. I I use it occasionally, Derek. Like it it is a good pre workout, and I, I like I've had the longest, most intense, you know, well recovered sessions of my life have definitely been uh, with using it. But I, I'm still kind of any supplement. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like I don't I don't really use much else. I've actually been doing um, a bit of uh, Vince Gironda's. Uh, organ extract uh approach at the moment that's uh that's some old school part of the, yeah <laughs> so tell, yeah. tell me a little bit about that so those that aren't familiar with with vince from again the golden era of bodybuilding and sort of one of the first guys to really you know what people don't realize is vince garanda on the east coast was really one of the first personal trainers in the entire industry um, Vince Garanda and Larry Pacifico, uh, two different worlds, one powerlifting, one bodybuilding. They are really the guys that you should look to as a giant thank you to anyone that's making a dime today, uh, personal training, yep. you know, they were, they were the first, you know? Yep. So hit us up. Yeah. That history is awesome. It and is. Anyone yeah. who hasn't checked out that stuff, like the muscle smoke and mirrors, have you, yeah, have you been into that yeah, one? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's a fantastic yeah, one. Yeah, Randy Roach has done an amazing job putting together a history of, of bodybuilding and, and strength culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just love it all, you know, Derek. Like, I love it all the way through. Like, I, I, I don't know, equally into wellness and equally into, you know, Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton and mind stuff and, you know, Wim Hof breathing. And right. I, I just love it all because it's all stuff that makes life better. And, you know, if that means it's hard to niche down and, and make as much money as I could because I'm not, easy for people to pigeonhole right like that's that's okay i can deal with that i can't deal with like turning my back on things that are going to make my life better or help me to help more people because it doesn't fit inside the marketing guidelines or something you know right and and there's uh, a possibility that the answer that you're looking for goes lost because of external circumstance. Somebody tells you that you can't talk about this or you can't use that because of obligation. And the next thing you know, you've done a disservice after having provided such a good service for so many years. And, and I think a lot of people get stuck in that, that trap, right? Because that trap has a tendency to be stacked with dollar bills. And it's, uh, you know, you certainly saw it with the Polycon Group era, um, with the supplements of the Biosig era, like you're talking about the the number of pills and powders and concoctions. Um, but that's what happens when when a company is able to make a million dollars a month selling fish oil. It's amazing how quickly your required fish oil goes from three grams to fifty. <laughs> right and and people yeah. that are familiar will remember those those lectures where they yeah. were talking about severely obese people uh needing 40 grams of fish oil daily um not even getting into the conversation about how detrimental that was to the to the systemic effect of other nutrients and and uh vitamins and minerals in the body but that's the problem right so it's uh 
it's an interesting thing with the ketogenic diet particular, even now looking more into organ meats, et cetera, are you still predominantly a ketogenic athlete in your own diet? I don't know if I'm an athlete, but I'm keto. Um, <laughs> I, I left it behind for a bit. Like I, I was right. I, I went really hard with it. And then I was like, Oh no, I'm all good now. Like I, I think I'll bring some more carbs back in and, um, and actually had the shittest period of, of training for, for a fair while. Like last year, I just kept my immune system just wasn't keeping up with what I was doing. And, um, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't progressing as I would like to. And I, I didn't know what, what I was doing wrong. I just, I just didn't have a great period. Like there was a lot of stresses. I had another, another child come in and, uh, we, you know, renovating our house and, you know, lots of different things going on, but I just couldn't put it together in 2017. It was a really tough year for me in a lot of different ways. Yep. It, was, it was a great year and, you know, a challenging year. I spent time with amazing people, but, um, in terms of training, it was, it was a bad year. Right. Um, so I went back to it. I was like, well, this, that actually, you know, that was working better for me because I started to go sort of semi-vegetarian because I experienced, uh, um, you know, I'd got into the fasting and I understood fasting and and I, and I, I played around with fasting on the on the you know recommendations of guys like Bernard McFadden if we want to go back to, you know, some of the uh, the old names sure. in health and fitness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's yeah, I've I've read you know a bunch of his books talking about you know fasting cleansing methods and. There's a lot. There's a lot of fasting. You know, it's it's in the Bible a number of times, and it's it's through lots of different traditions. And mentally and physically, uh, it's it's something worth experiencing. I actually had the Roosters go through uh, a fast, Derek, and you can imagine taking that to an NFL team. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm lucky they didn't have my number at that time because I'm sure I would have been getting uh, some serious uh, absolutely trouble absolutely down the line. But um. I, 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 yeah, like I had great experiences with with that, and it was it was challenging. Like I did a seven day fast, no food, mm-hmm. um, no no ketones or anything. Um, one of the hardest things I've ever done, and, and pretty scary towards the end because I sort of felt like if if I don't bounce back back from this, it's all over. Like my my energy was low, yep. um, and I didn't know, you know, you don't know what's come what's coming on the other side of it. Like it was it was pretty scary in a way, but I'd started to. Yeah, like to play around with lower meat consumption, yep. uh, thinking that you know alkalizing and lower meat, and you know there's a lot of you know a lot of push around that, a lot of interest, and you know guys like Jack Lane, you know he did well with talking more about sort of fruits and vegetables, and um, I, I gave that approach more of a go in 2017, yep. and it didn't really work for me when I reflected on it. I was like, and maybe with the fasting, I probably didn't pay enough attention to repleting from that. You know, I think I was depleting myself and cleaning systems, you know, cleaning out, which is good. But then the the benefit of the fast is in the rebuild. It's, it's not in the, you know, it's not as much, you know, there's there's something in the cleaning, but then the rebuilding is really where the the biggest benefits are going to come. And and I don't think I understood that enough. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I I've actually gone full circle. I'm now uh, like 95% uh, plant free. So no kidding. I'm eating pretty much all meat. And yeah, how do yeah. you feel comparatively? It, it's been amazing, Derek. Like um, my immune system is is strong. Um, that there, there was like a like a, a a change, a detoxing kind of effect. The first two weeks was like I had a, a rash on my skin and. Um, yeah, I had, I had allergies, I had itchy eyes every night. Yep. Um, 
but I could feel like something good was happening and I was training really well. So I was like, I'm just going to just going to stick with it a bit and just see what, see what happens. So now I'm about six weeks in, um, uh, about three kilos more muscle mass. Um, I'm ready to PB a bunch of lifts. Um, I haven't really, I haven't missed a day of training because of, you know, Fatigue. being fatigued or, uh, immune compromised. Like I've still, I've still been tired. Like I've been pushing it. I was doing like Shaco. Yep program every day um and then topping in some bodybuilding stuff on on top of that and now i've gone to to another program um that's a hybrid sort of like i'm I'm, yeah i've set some targets around weightlifting um in the new year so i'm doing some weightlifting and then just keeping everything else going but you know touch wood derek like i'm i'm feeling good so i'm i'm uh I, I feel like I, I feel almost guilty putting it out there. Like it took took me a while to actually tell, you know, my crew and you know people that I'm that I'm actually doing this. And it's it's basically the the carnivore diet or the uh, zero carb diet that Sean Baker spoke about on um, Joe Rogan. Right. And so I heard about that, and then I jumped into a lot of Vince Gironda stuff. You know, when he was talking about, or you call him Gironda, I don't know, which is he's probably um whatever he is. Yeah. <laughs> he uh he had the the definition diet. I mean, he said, you know, he said he ate steak and eggs for nine months straight, same portions, um, and he got, you know, he got shredded for a for a comp, and he, he felt like he was starting to add muscle toward the end. But yep. you know, Sean Baker, I'm not sure if you've heard, have you heard that one? Have you heard about it at all? I haven't listened to it, but I'm familiar with who he is. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's breaking some records in the 500 meter row and uh, some of the other sort of sprint row yep. erg times, and he's he's in his I think late 40s. Early 50s, so and he's he's, sort he's, of, he's, the, he's smashing some of the stereotypes then that you can't do hard metabolic work without carbohydrates. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, that's a big yeah. point. So keep going. Yeah, I'm not sure if you would repeat, 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 repeat at that, sure. but his one out efforts yep. are, are definitely world class. And what I, what really grabbed my interest with that was he'd been working really hard at breaking those rowing times for a number of years. And it's you know you know what the rowing erg like it's it's very cut and dry yes you know and and he dropped two seconds when he did it and he's like Jeez. I'm winning here like there's a win here so let's let's continue to to experiment with this like he was an experienced guy who'd been working hard at the highest level um, on something that's really cut and dry um, and then he saw a you know he saw an improvement when he did it so mm, um, that's fascinating yeah. It's and then I looked into the the community and there's this whole uh, underground you know cult you know like there is in pretty much anything you look up these days and yep. these people have been doing it for a long time. Um, a bunch of them look pretty healthy and I checked out a, you know heaps of different forums and just delved into the to the research of anecdotal as well as uh, you know anything you know towards scientific but. Yep. Science, you know, nutrition research, you know, that you're not going to find uh, that kind of stuff in there. Right. So when you get into the, something of this nature, you're going to get a lot of people that push back real hard and, and massively. Yeah, <laughs> massively, right? So what do you say to people that immediately shut off and say, what about cholesterol? What about heart disease? What about energy? What about, what about, what about? Like, what is your initial almost coaching key? To get them to be like, oh, okay, maybe I'll, I'll be less aggressive in my in my dogma. Um, I, it's pretty instinctive for me, Derek. Like, I don't know, people who are listening might uh, 
might already have that feeling, but they might have already, I might have already picked their interest a little bit. They might already have some inclination to research it a little bit or think about it. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. It's I, I, I guess I have a, an innate or you know developed capacity to open people's minds to other possibilities. Um, if people come back really hard against it it's you know it would only be in an online forum and it's really not worth putting energy into that when you're face to face with someone you know they don't people just don't react like that um but if they did you know i would i'd say like don't don't experiment with it then you know like just stick with what you're doing if you're happy with the path you're on like awesome if if you think there's room for improvement there and um, there's some, you know, do some research and, and maybe think about having an experiment. See, that's a really um, good point because a lot of people aren't that honest and, and it's something that I've always, I've always enjoyed. It's when you, when you step up to the plate and you're talking about something like this, that is a, a little bit different than what say the, the average person is used to and they push back hard and they get emotional or they get whatever. The, the real question is, is what are you doing right now that is successful? If it is successful and it's working, awesome. If you're not happy with where you're at, you really have to take a hard look at that decision and change something because that's really what the question is. Are you successful and are you healthy and happy? If you say no to any one of those three, then you might have to reconsider your system. There's nothing worse than an obese person giving diet advice, and there's nothing worse than a weak person telling you how to get strong. And it's not that it makes them a bad person. You just realize that they're a little bit delusional, and they have to break down the barriers of their own delusion, and that's definitely a psychological misstep on their part, for sure. Yeah, and... Not taking it personally, like this is, I, I could be talking about veganism again in 12 months, who knows, like uh, I've, I've experimented with being vegetarian and, and I've done, you know, I've done weeks of uh, vegan and and fasting. So, you know, I think it probably does actually play a part with this, like the, in, you know, Gironda specifically talks about, you know, doing a vegetarian week and it's kind of right. in the Poliquin system, you know, minus all the powders, I believe, yeah. you know, that it, it's a good thing. Yeah. Like if you, you do that in, a, in the lead into a period where you're going to smash protein, um, I think it could be really good to, to deplete, uh, you know, and to not, to not have your body used to massive amounts. Um, like it's the body responds to difference, right? Like right. that's the, the, the nature of training and adaptation is that, it's got to be something different to what was there before. Otherwise there's no reason for the body to change. Um, so people think they just going to eat more and that's going to make them muscular. But, right. But if there's no actual stimulus for the muscles to get bigger, that's beyond what you've done before, then the nutrition really shouldn't, you know, it doesn't make any sense that the body would want to add extra muscle mass, which is, you know, uh, it's going to be metabolically inefficient and, and, and all those sorts of things. Like some people are blessed a little more than others, yep. maybe hormonally and genetically. But uh, I think, uh, you know, if talking about pissing people off and whatever, like I got right into learning from CrossFitters as well in uh, 2013, 14, like Ben Garrard's a, a good friend of mine. And, yep. and I did a training camp with, with him and Khan Porter, who's one of the top Australian guys. And you now I learned a lot from CrossFitters, um, 
in that period. And one of the, one of the lessons is seeing like 50, 55 year old women, um, banging out muscle ups right. and looking big and, and people want to talk about drugs in CrossFit and it's pretty front and center that there's a role there for, sure. for, for, for drugs in, in pretty much any sport, but especially if you make it a complex barbell sport where you, you know, you need to do massive volume of training to be in the picture. Like yep. it's going to come in there somewhere. Yeah. But grandma at, at the local CrossFit is very long odds to be on, on anabolics and, and across the board, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's something there where if, if you train and, and CrossFit for me is basically a complex bodybuilding system. Right. Um, at, at, the, at the highest level, it becomes other things. But for a lot of people you know, going into CrossFit, they're getting more repetitions and having more time under tension than Ex- pretty much anyone else. Exactly. And- I was talking to Ryan Fanley about this exact topic. It's like the reason why you're seeing so many hypertrophied CrossFitters is because you take away the time under tension per rep, like you would say in a Poliquin system, tempos, and you look at how much of the year were, were the athletes, the individuals in CrossFit under tension due to the, the escalation of volume and compound barbell movements. And yep. so even though they're not counting tempo on a bicep curl, tempo no. is just how long was the body under tension. And yep. they're under massive amounts of tension over the course of 365 days. Yeah. Absolutely. They're taking their hypertrophy work to their anaerobic or aerobic, you know, power threshold. Like they're, they're doing as much bodybuilding as they can get done in a period of time without going to failure because if you go to failure, then – you you know you can't finish your as many rounds as possible. Right. Um, so it's it's like EDT with different movement you know <laughs> movement decisions like the Charles Staley escalated density training. Absolutely. You know, those kind of concepts you know they're they're out there but people don't see the overlap and I guess that's probably one thing that I pride myself on. Derek is trying to see the overlap and the connection between what Edo does what CrossFit yes. does, what powerlifters are doing, what John Brookfield did. You know what? You know that's I love sort of joining the dots and saying, well, this makes sense because those things, you know, those things have the same concept in them, even though they're going about it in a very different way. It's exactly it. Take the fifteen people that you're the most interested in in a given endeavor, strength and conditioning, say, and they're all going to have fifteen different personalities, and they're going to have fifteen different ways to get it done. But if you take those fifteen and you just focus on the things they agree on, that's typically where reality lies because those are things that can't be manipulated. They're things that can't be sold, and they typically can't be marketed very well because if they could, only one of them would have done it, and it would have been trademarked. And and so that's usually where success lies. Success lies and where great minds overlap because that's fact. And you know what's the thing that I find most fascinating about the influence CrossFit's had is I've always said that for its faults in the beginning and in the end, CrossFit still reintroduced people to to hard work in the weight room. And yep. no longer were people spent, you know, 
you you weren't getting somebody sitting on a lap pull down for 22 minutes and doing 12 <laughs> reps, right? Um, but I, I had this thought yesterday because I train at a global gym when I'm not on the road. And my gym yep. with its new rack it has set up, it has a rig system in it now, plus its original racks. I, my gym yep. has six squat racks, two traditional old school ones, and then four that are hooked to this rig. And I was in there on a Tuesday at 3 p.m., and there was six racks being squatted on, yeah. right? And this isn't a global yep. gym. So that never used to happen. So no. you can you can bash on CrossFit for its periodization issues and its injury potentiation and all that stuff. But you can't yep. deny the effect it's had on getting people back into traditional strength and conditioning. It's been massive, right? So, yep. yeah, I think so too. And just as we come to a close, there's a couple things I wanted you to to talk about is one with the real you and the expansion of your concepts. Um, yep. I came across something uh, hopefully you might be able to give me some information on is the Ideal Body Composition app. It, yeah. And what is that exactly based on, you know, I don't have any information, so anything you tell me right now yeah, is yeah. going to be new. Yeah, I, I freaking uh... – I love this thing. Like it's one of one of the one of the things I'm most proud of uh, putting together, and it's pretty recent. So maybe I won't feel the same next time we talk. Sure. It's it's uh. So did you see the study about fat-free mass index in uh, college football players? No, I did not. Break us down. Well, yeah. Basically, it's it's around that whole natural or or steroids uh, conversation, and you know a lot of people have said if you have a fat-free mass index over 25 then you must have taken steroids like that's the upper limit oh, for yes. natural i have heard of this it's been a long time yes yeah, so, good good yeah so the, the concepts kind of floated around um and and it's pretty like it's something where people throw stones at crossfit because you, you you do the numbers on those guys and they're like 27 or 28 in terms of their um those, those numbers yep. um and then you look at the old-time bodybuilders and their numbers, and and in the pre-steroid age, there was still uh, there was a few guys who were above those, you know, uh, that that sort of twenty-five threshold, like the Frank Zane, and you know these guys back in the day. Right. Um, so then they did this study on college football players, and they found that one of the guys had thirty-two as his uh, height-adjusted fat-free mass index. So you need to normalize for height. So yeah, this is like so far off the off the Richter. Uh, but there was 25% of guys were over the, the 25 point um, in their height adjusted fat free mass index. So, yes, there are drugs in college football, and you probably, you know, yeah. you would understand it probably a lot more than than not, I would from Australia. But I find it, I, I, even if they were using anabolics, like they're only young kids. Like if they yeah. they would have the genetic potential that if they focus on bodybuilding, a bunch of those guys are going to be, you know, more muscular than that by the time they're 26 or 30. Right. Um, you know, that was all pre-21, 22, you know. So it's it's kind of blowing out of the water that, that 25 is a ceiling. Um, That's an interesting point before we carry on because that means 25% yep. roughly of, uh, of the team is showing indication of anabolic use, and <laughs> yeah, which is really high. Um, I know from personal experience that when I was in the NFL, out of 53 guys, we only had one test positive. Right. Yeah. So, and that wasn't because these guys were beating the system. It's literally because only one guy was using. Um, people don't like to believe that though, because it breaks down the, uh, 
the idea that, you know, they literally are the 1% of athletic potential. Um, But what is also interesting about that is a coaching buddy of mine just sent me a video. He coaches at the high school level in the United States. And he sent me a video of one of his running backs who is 16 years old. (laughs) Blows my mind. 16-year-old kid, under 200 pounds in body weight with just a weightlifting belt on. He squats to parallel. 300 kilos. Uh, right? So you I guarantee when he's 21, he's going to be yeah. probably outside of the height adjusted mass index, right? So Yeah. Yeah. All right, keep going cuz this yeah. app does seem super sweet. So people yeah, not not everybody sits in the middle of the bell curve, right? And that's that's the important thing to to realize there. So then I'm working with the roosters, my role is nutrition and lifestyle, so I want guys to buy into uh, optimal body composition, you know, that's part of my role there. Yep. Um, so many guys are focused on scale weight. Scale weight is relevant and important. Like you need to be heavy enough to play collision. It's a collision sport. You can't be a flyweight and just be, you know, six pack abs and, and that's your ticket to, you know, to the big time. Right. But, but, but having guys too focused on the scale sometimes means they, they carry more fat than they should. And they should you know, focus on adding a bit more muscle if they want to weigh that you know, have that weight. So to try to educate them around that, I started to play around with all these numbers, you know, the fat free mass index, body fat percentage, total body weight. Um, and yeah, basically I, I crunched the numbers and sort of put it together. And then I realized that numbers around like 25 to 30 and, and small shifts in those numbers, I don't think are going to motivate these guys. Right. So I made it, I just I I did the, crunched all the numbers and then just times it by four. Um, so it's height adjusted fat free mass index times four is what I've called a muscle number. And so that means that your natural muscle potential, is, or or like your average guy who works really hard, a hundred is a pretty good target for them, um, which would give you your twenty five, right? right? So that's that's like your average your average dude who doesn't have full Viking genes or you know right. whatever. Yep. Um, if they can get to 25, like they're, they're pretty jacked. They're pretty good. Mine at the moment is like 93. Yep. Um, and that's, that's my, my kind of physique where I'm at at the moment. You can see it pretty well on my Instagram. I rarely wear a shirt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, like, and if I, if I ever get to a hundred, like I'll, you know, I'll be jacked. Like it's, it's, it's a big muscular dude, especially if you lean at that. Yeah. Um, so this muscle number thing gives you, it gives you that number. Like it gives you a point of reference. Um, Sonny Bill Williams, who's, you know, the greatest multi-sport athlete. Um, I coached him at the Roosters, but he, you know, he's gone on, played all blacks. He went to the Olympics in the sevens yep. and he's, and he's boxed, uh, quite a bit. He's 110. So Jeez. he's a guy who's an outlier, you know, Mitch Pike, who's a, you know, one of the top coaches in our community. Absolutely. He's a he's, big dude as well. He's, he's, he's got the world record now on the uh, assault bike too for anyone who's listening and wants to uh, crucify themselves. 30 seconds, 70, 70 cows. What? Um, 30 seconds, 70 yeah. cows? Yeah. So he's got a 310 deadlift, you know, so if you're not somewhere around there, you're probably not going to go and play that game. But he's, he's a tall guy. Um, he's lean. He's like 113 kilos, um, 9%. So that, that puts him muscle number, yeah, over the over the one ten. So he modeled himself off Sonny. He wanted to look like Sonny. He had right. the posters on the wall right. as a kid. And and he's he's done it. Yeah, people that um, aren't familiar with with this individual is mm. his Instagram page is really good. Uh Metamorphosis, is that correct? Metamorphosis. Yeah. 
Jim? Yeah, Met- Metamorph, uh, Metamorph Jim in, in Canberra. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely an Instagram page to check out. It's uh, you guys have a lot in common, actually. He's he's a real thinker, and he, he really uh, loves the mind games, and he's very witty. Very, uh, he, he makes you laugh as well as makes you think. So I think you guys have got you got you guys have got a heap in common there. Yeah, I tell you what, in uh, seventy cals and thirty seconds on an assault bike, anybody that's familiar with an assault bike will be sitting in somewhat of a fetal position. Off at trying to achieve that type of calorie expenditure you know yeah that's that's what most people will pull out of about six minutes five minutes (laughs) right like like when you really do the math that's most people will do 70k in about five minutes and they're and they're doing okay like they're not sucking and so to do it in 30 seconds you're talking about a, a man beast putting down some some serious energy you know yeah and so with this app as People were interested in it. What's the easiest way to do it from the App Store? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's in the it's in Android and Apple App Store. It's real new app. Uh, we built it as a thing to facilitate the journey of the members of the facilities that we work with. Yep. Um, but we also have like some online support, and um, it's the app is free, and then there's a component to it that gets you into the back end library that you know fills you in on. It's got all the protocols for all the things we do the detox and the breathing and training programs and juggling and mobility and all that stuff that's that's in a paid section but the free section has um a place to log your your scores yep. so you some 5rm scores um dips and chins and um some juggling scores and handstand scores and that sort of stuff so it's it's mostly designed for the coaches and and people that we work with um, but anyone's welcome to to put data in but the, the top of it has the body composition calculator which i think is a really really useful tool for people to because it'll tell you exactly how much fat you need to lose and exactly how much muscle you need to gain to get to your goal so that so many people are you know they're 85 kilos at 15 percent and they say i want to be 90 kilos at seven percent and they but they don't actually do the maths on that and and if you when they do the maths on that especially when they're you know five foot eight it actually means that their muscle number to be 110 and they've got 12 kilos of muscle to add and so it's going to be a big journey and it helps to put it in perspective, perspective of, of what's what's likely to happen over the course of a year or I'm not telling people, you know, shrink your dreams, but I'm telling you like use some reality though, you, right? Like yeah. you got somebody that, you know, when people forget like somebody that's five foot eight or five foot seven that is like, yeah, I want to be 90 kilos at sub 8%. And you're like, you know, yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Frank Zane. But you know what I mean? Like you start to do the math. You're like, you're talking about a guy that would have stepped on the Mr. Olympia stage in 1979. Yeah, exactly. Like Franco Colombo would be, you know, looking at you going, well done. Like, yeah. Congratulations. Uh, right. Like, uh, welcome to the club. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. so I think that is extremely valuable. I'm definitely going to be downloading it when we get off this call. Um, cause yeah, check his, yeah, it's, t- send me your, uh, send, screenshot me your, your muscle number and it, yeah, it's, it, uh, it does – I like just knowing the numbers as well, right? Like a problem quantifier is half solved. You know, I did my scores this morning. I used a Sculpt device. I don't know if you've – have you seen that one, Derek? I'm not sure. If you give it a description, it's, it's, let's find out. You wouldn't have because you're a biosig man potentially or you're a caliper man. Yep. But there's um, 
it's a it's an electronic device that you place directly on the muscle uh, and it tells you the the fat of that area so it's it's kind of like bioelectrical impedance but it's local to the area ah. it's it's kind of new technology and it was developed around muscle quality for people who had like um, degenerative diseases and Absolutely. stuff so you could yeah, it tells you like the contractility of the muscle, and it tells you the fat percentage of the muscle. So it's 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 really interesting. But I, I've got data on it now since April last year. Yep. Um, I haven't had I've had scores between ten percent and seven point eight. Um, I've had one score o- over that. Um, but the the, the range of this you know, that it's giving me, um, is in line with, with what I've seen. And it doesn't, it doesn't shift it a lot. Like uh, in terms of reliability, like I've, I've been pretty happy with it. We, and I've used it, you know, I've used it with, uh, with the roosters and other spots, but basically it means, you know, you don't have to, cause I live in the country, and, yep. you know, to go and find a biosig practitioner and get back to the same one. It's not practical. Um, re- regularly. It's yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the bioelectrical impedance stuff is not great. So then you can do photos and that's okay. But then you play mind games. And if you get a bit bigger plus, you know, did you add fat at the same time? Did you not? Like it's, it's harder to quantify. So yep. um, between that and scale weight and your height, you've, uh, you've got a, a pretty good gauge of whether your pre- your plan is working, whether your nutrition and your training is, is working. So yeah, I, uh, I love it. I think there's, I think there's a lot to it, and you know, all our guys, they know their muscle numbers now, and they know what their goal muscle number now is, and and they know how, you know, how many kilos of fat. Um, well, the the fat doesn't come into it, but it's, you know, it's part of the equation, obviously. Yep. To, but you know, how much muscle they need to gain, and if they are actually trying to go beyond that hundred or beyond the hundred five or hundred and ten, like they kind of have an idea that yeah like this is i'm going into special zone here like this is i'm going to be one of the most muscular dudes on the planet yeah that's exactly it um, you're going to be naturally a 0.1 percent individual and see that type of stuff is really fascinating to me and it's always been something that you have been a part of that has kept you in my opinion as somebody that needs to be followed not for the sake of popularity, but for the sake of new and interesting things that are not just gimmicks, but you're working on trying to actually make the experience better. And by making the experience better, by default, hopefully you'll have a better quality of life. And just before I let you get back to... to that's the goal. That's the goal. And before <laughs> I let you go, what uh, a couple things... Um, what do you got coming up that people can jump in on and maybe learn from or get involved with? And, and what's the easiest way for people that are listening to, to track down your information? Cool. So I'm super excited about the level one course that we've launched. Uh, it's a three month program. Uh, we used to just have a, a 12 month kind of mentorship that was, you know, a big bunch of cash to get involved with. And, and that worked well, but because people came in committed, but it was really out of reach for a lot of people. So now we've got a, a three month program, um, accountability, education, plus three days face to face. I think it's the most comprehensive entry level program there is. And you get a foundation in gymnastics, weightlifting, you know, skill development, you know, introduced to all of our nutrition approaches. And you, you will experience a lot of it uh, as you go through it with accountability to actually progress during those three months. So right. it's something pretty different in the education space as far as what's available to uh, to people. And, and yeah, we've, uh, we're getting some really good results with it. You know, people actually Account- change. Accountability, right? Accountability is an amazing way to, to ensure yeah. success. 
And these guys are all connected to each other. Like we're tribal beings. Yep. If, if you don't have a powerful tribe around you, I guarantee you, you're not living anywhere near your potential. Like everybody needs a tribe. Everybody needs to be connected to other people who are kicking ass. Yeah, that's uh, a good otherwise, point. Otherwise right? you're not getting your best, you know? Yeah. And, and people have a tendency to forget that they, uh, you know, like we live in the fuck. It drives me crazy. Everybody nowadays is an introvert a self-proclaimed introvert, right? And listen, we all have introvert tendencies. We all need to take a minute to recharge, reflect. Uh, we need to, to process. We need to go to a place in our head. You know, I think it used to be called meditation, God forbid. So it's, it's not that outside of the idea, but there, there has never been an introvert tribe in the history of human civilization. Right. Like it's, it's either you're fucking overwhelmed or under fueled by the people in your life. So you want to fix somebody with a severe introvert problem, find them a good group of people that they can really open up and resonate with. And you'd be amazed at how quickly that introvert becomes somebody of substance in a group. You know, that's just my fucking two cents, yep. but yeah, I, 100%. there's something to it, man. 100%. Yeah. I do believe that's, it. that's what I mean. That's what I've been dedicated to for for the last bunch of years, Derek, is like trying to create an environment around people where they excel and, and gradually we're doing it better, you know, and we, we're doing it better and better. And, and you know, there's been a lot of coaches who've come through who are doing good things now and they're having an impact on the world, yep. um, especially around Australia. But yeah, that's so that's that course is uh, uh, live now and, and, and we're really excited about that. I would love at some stage to uh, present one of those three-day events uh, in the US. We, we're looking at doing one there. Um, in late June, okay. uh, we haven't lo- locked in the date yet, but yeah, we're definitely presenting in Europe and, uh, and, and Australia. There's one sort of each month. Awesome. Um, we have our, hopefully going to have our first Ruyu facility in the U S the guy from Detroit, uh, Matt Dickey came out and spent a few, uh, a few weeks going to all the facilities and meeting all the guys and, and he's uh, planning to open one up there uh, around the middle of the year this year as well. So that'll um, open the door to getting a bit more contact over there. As I guess some of your uh, some of the people who might listen to this might be people uh, on that side of the planet. Absolutely, yeah. You know, little Midwest Motor City is never gonna never gonna let anyone down. So Detroit, <laughs> Detroit's got a. Detroit's got some history. I lived outside of Detroit for 12 months. I, uh, okay. I know that area well. That's uh, You're talking blue-collar, hard-working folks. So it, yeah. it would be pretty sweet if that could happen. And if people that want yeah. that don't follow you yet that should, what's the easiest way for them to get introduced to you and your concepts? Is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? Is it a website? Yeah, yeah I'd say Instagram's probably where I'm trying to give the most value at the moment you know i'm sharing a lot through through that i think keegan underscore smith i think is my personal one there um and then real movement project um is the the other channel so real movement project uh real movement project.com has a lot of sort of blog articles and the muscle number is pretty well explained on there so if you search muscle number and real movement project.com then you'll um you'll definitely uh get to that one but you know there's uh yeah it's early early days in terms of building a global audience, but the the little bit of interest there from from Joe Rogan back in the day uh, helped, and and uh, hopefully there's something that we've shared here today that that supports you on your journey as well. And if it has, then please reach out and just uh, send me a couple of words. It's uh, it's always nice to to hear back from people who who check stuff out and 
um, yeah, before we sign off, like Derek, I, I always love seeing your stuff. It's, it's you know, quirky and thought-provoking, and uh, I, I love following your, your journey and, and what you're doing around the world, and you've been an important part of mine so far, so I appreciate it. It's an, it's an honor to be part of your, your podcast, and uh, I, I think it's going to do really well for you, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to when we get to spend some time together next, whether it's this side or that side of the planet, I don't know. Absolutely. That means a tremendous amount to me, and it, it means a lot that you're able to take some time in the uh, infancy stages of this new endeavor that I've decided to jump into, and and I most certainly would like to get back to Australia. There's a possibility I'll be over in the fall um, to lecture with uh, Shannon Green uh, in his gym in, uh, in Sydney. If that's the case, I would definitely like to cross paths with you and your group again. Just, you know, for those out there that are just learning about what you do, there's something to be said, as we say, about the tribalism side. And when I came home from lecturing four days with your group a couple of years ago, it was that four days was enough to charge me for four months. Um, you guys are really on to something as a culture and as a group uh, that I could really resonate with. So having you on the show has been uh, been fantastic, and I really appreciate it. Awesome, Derek. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Woodski on his Instagram or at derekwoodski.com. 